consider the plight of the drayage trucker. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. They're an indispensable part of the supply chain. These short-haul truckers who move containers and trailers between ports and warehouses where products are staged and dispatched to their final destination, the retail store. Drayage drivers have a tough enough job in so-called normal times. The pay isn't great, the working conditions are highly variable, and the cost to buy and maintain equipment can eat up any profits that are left at the end of the day. Now, though, with chronic congestion in supply chains and painfully long wait times at marine terminals, drivers are running on perilously thin margins. On this episode, we assess the state of drayage driving with Drew Herpik, Chief Commercial Officer with Transportation Insight and Nolan Transportation Group. He tells us about the pressures that are continuing to weigh on drivers and the prospects for relief, and he suggests some ways that their lives could be made easier. Here's my conversation with Drew Herpin. Drew Herpick, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, Bob? Good, and thanks very much for being with me. This is a pretty critical issue. Drayage has always been a difficult job and a difficult task to carry out, even more challenging these days. So I thought I'd just start out by asking you to kind of sum up for me, what are the challenges that drayage truckers are facing today in major port areas? Yeah, it's a great question. It's one that's been at the, the forefront of a lot of questions that are on the supply chain today. And so everything you've seen across the news and the media has really emphasized the supply chain issues. And one of the bigger ones has been at the ports, especially with the drivers there. The long wait times, not having chassis available, warehouses not having the correct labor and dock workers for them to get unloaded has caused a lot of issues on the Dre network. And so some of these carriers that were able to do two or three turns a day are really looking at one maximum. And so how do you maximize your revenue, make sure you're paying for all your operating costs and keeping your drivers happy at the end of the day? So I think it's one of those things that over time, we've seen this compound. And so when we go through these waves that we are right now, with a little bit of a less demand in some of the ports, and that will obviously kick back up here in the next few weeks with a lot of these ships being released from China, this uncertainty causes a lot of uncertainty for the drivers on a day-to-day basis of where they're going to get their revenue. What are the factors that are leading to this particularly challenging time for drivers? What has caused the the problem with chassis? What has caused the longer lines, the congestion, the delays? What are some of the underlying factors? I think the big underlying factor, Bob, is some of the inadequate systems that we have at a lot of these ports, right? A lot of this has been stemming up for the last 15, 20 years And obviously, COVID brought this to the forefront of it. And so over the last couple of years, I think a lot of it is is issues that we've seen in past. And then obviously, we we talked about the 100 ships being out at sea and not being able to get those ports moving. The biggest thing, too, at the end of the day is these ports only are able to take off so many containers a day. And when we're getting double stacked and triple stacked up, 
that's where it's causing some of these issues for these drivers not being able to get to their containers on a daily basis. Do you see this as a nationwide problem? I mean, we mostly hear about the congestion of Southern California ports. Are drivers, drayage drivers facing similar problems everywhere? And if so, where would be the worst areas for them right now? I think it's one of those things that obviously it started in Long Beach, like we were just discussing. Everybody talked about the 100 ships that were sitting out at sea a few months ago. But now this is changing, right? And now a lot of supply chain and customers are looking to move ports, right? The Houston port's becoming more popular. You talk about Miami, Savannah, and Charleston up the coast becoming more popular. The, the issue with some of those ports, though, is, is their infrastructure wasn't built for this type of demand. And so obviously they're trying to catch up quickly by obviously trying to court new customers over to their ports here. But I think it's one of those things that across the country now, we are seeing more and more demand issues come across because these ports, they've either had to scout more workers or get more infrastructure built in a quick time. And as you have seen, the West Coast imports to the East Coast imports have changed a lot over the last few months, right? Mm-hmm. Where West Coast was always the most popular, but year over year basis, East Coast is obviously up on a percentage standpoint as a lot of these customers are changing their routes. When we're talking about drayage drivers specifically, give me a sense of what is the profile of a drayage driver today? Is it an individual who owns his or her own truck? Is it a company driver? Just can you generalize as to what is a drayage driver today? Yeah, I mean, you've got obviously all different types of, of drayage drivers across the board. I think the one thing that we really specialize here at TI and NTG is using that smaller base driver, the ones that we can really build relationships with, the ones that we're looking for them to look at us as their revenue source, us being their customer for them. But I think at the end of the day, when you think about the driver out there today, a lot of them are going on their own, right? Uh, with the, the market that is the way it's been, you've seen a lot more drainage go to more of the owner-operator route. At the same time, though, too, getting the uh, ability to be able to haul into these ports, that's something that we're offering to a lot of our drivers on a day-to-day basis that have the tractors to be able to do it, is giving them the ability to be able to get chassis or to be able to get the ability to have the right certifications to get into these ports so that they can start being drainage drivers. I think that's some of the competitive advantage you're able to give to your customers at the end of the day, working with some of those smaller carriers that are much more nimble in the market. But the economics of being a drayage driver are tough one way or, or the other, are they not? I mean, a lot of them are under pressure to purchase new trucks that are cleaner and greener, and that must put more pressure on them financially as well. Yeah, you're seeing a big push, obviously, in the ESG front. A lot of customers are demanding this. I think the new generation coming up is looking at this more and more, especially with the jobs that they're taking on. I think it's so important as humankind that we are pushing forward with a lot of these ESG results. I think the one big thing that we need to do as a country across the board, though, is incentivize these carriers and these drivers to get these new vehicles that can help save on emissions and things like that. The biggest thing that I hear over and over is, Drew, I would love to do that, but it's double the cost Mm -hmm. to get one of those rigs. And so at the end of the day, how does that help the driver? How does that help the carrier? And I think as a country, we've got to do more creative things to help them out on a day-to-day basis. In the way of loans or grants or some kind of supporting financial instrument that will allow them to afford the truck? Yeah, because if you're sitting in their seat, I think they want to be green as well, too. But if there isn't an incentive to do that on their end, why would you pay double the cost for a tractor? And so those are some of the things that we see from our, our, our carriers on a daily basis is where I think they want to be green. They want to get these new trucks and put these new orders in. But at the end of the day, if they're paying the, that cost for themselves, they're just looking at their operating costs going up. When you think about operating costs uh, across the board for drivers and carriers today, whether it be insurance, fuel, the actual driver himself, costs have gone up across the board, and it's something that's harder and harder for them to manage. 
throughout the supply chain, we've seen staffing and labor issues, shortages of the employees that needed to run a supply chain. But the problem is especially acute on the driver's side. And I'm wondering now, are there enough drayage drivers based on all these challenges that you just described to me? It's not an easy life to make a living. Are we having problems finding enough drivers to get the job done? I look at it this way in the drayage market. I think if you look at carriers across the board, it's one of the interesting modes to go into. It's one of those modes that you're able to get home at the end of the day, stay local, stay in that same state or in that in that same corridor that you usually run. I, I think the problem that we're running into here, though, Bob, is it's not so much of what the driver is able to do. It's on the back end of some of these things, right? And the one thing that the driver can't control. You think about everybody talks about the, the congestion at the ports. Well, the ports are only half the problem. The, the biggest problem is where these drivers are going to be taking the loads. And the one thing that we're seeing more and more, and I hear about it in the news all the time, is what, why aren't these ports running 24-7? Well, in reality, they really are. And some of the issues on the back end is, is when that load gets released, where does it go? And so a lot of these facilities and warehouses that they're able to go to are not 24-7, and they don't have the workers or the dock workers or the labor to be able to keep up. Or if they were open to 5 p.m., now they're shutting down at 2 p.m. because they don't have the workers. And that on the flip end is making it much harder for the drage driver to get all their turns into a day as well and make the revenue that they need to make. Sure. Okay. So we don't have enough workers on the docks and the warehouses, but what about the drivers themselves? Are enough of them? Do they even want a job like this based on all the challenges they're facing? I think today, and we're seeing it across the board, not even just in the drage market, but in the long haul market too, the length of haul is getting shorter and shorter. Obviously, this happened a few years back with ELDs coming into the market. But I think you're seeing it even now more, too, with the push of e-commerce, sprinter vans, straight trucks, some of those local runs becoming more attractive. And I think to your point at that end, if I can get the same type of work on an e-commerce or maybe in a straight truck or a sprinter van, why sit at the port for five, six, seven, eight hours at a time? And again, at the end of the day for these drivers, time is money. And so I think you're starting to see some of the shift from possibly doing this drage work into these other modes because of the turnaround time that they're able to get the shipments that they need to get to make revenue. Wait, so you're saying the drivers are taking other types of trucking jobs as opposed to drage, longer hauls, or what do you what do you mean by that exactly? Well, I, I think to your point there too, I, I think you're seeing it go into more of that, that sprinter van and that cargo van type of work. But on top of that as well too, Bob, I think, I think there's a lot of jobs in the, uh, in the market across the board. So whether that be different kind of manual labor jobs or different jobs that really keep them home at the end of the day, I think a lot of drivers are looking at this as why drive the truck if these other jobs are paying the premiums that they're paying out there right now. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, here we are talking in mid-June about the possibility of a West Coast longshore strike. Could drivers survive that if it was an extended kind of a situation? We talk about the drivers. The first point I want to hit about is, I don't know, as a, a country, we will be able to sustain yeah. it. We saw the supply chain issues that happened, obviously, a few a couple of years ago, uh, and they're still obviously prevalent here today. I think it will be the same situation to your point, too. I think these drivers will leave that type of work and go find other work. They're not going to sit around waiting for the strike to be resolved. They're not going to be able to take a week, a two weeks, three weeks, whatever it might be able to take off to get some of these things resolved. And so by doing that, I think you see them go into different modes or like we said, get out of the industry completely to get into different sectors that they don't have to drive a truck on a day-to-day basis. So short of just waiting for certain things to change that are beyond drivers control, like the general economy and port congestion and stuff like that, what can we do to make the life of a drayage driver easier? Like let's start with at the Marine Terminal where you're saying they could line up for hours trying to get in. They only get one load a day. What could be done at the Marine Terminal level 
in order to make their jobs better? I think the systems alone, right? Some of the, the systems that I've seen at the ports are still really probably stuck back in the early 90s. And some of those, I think, need to be updated. How we look at appointments, how we look at setting. I think we need to be able to do more dynamic optimization from the point setting for these drivers. If you're not ready, if your container is not prepared, you don't have the chastity, right? We need to be more flexible to be able to get these drivers in and out of there in an appropriate time. I think that will make the, the ports better at the end of the day, not only from a congestion standpoint, but then get drivers moving quickly. I think at the same time as well, too, when you look across the board, the different preferential treatments that you get at these, some of these ports, the more that those continue to happen, the less likely the small carrier is going to want to go into these ports because they know that they're going to wait the longest. But you don't even have like a single marine terminal operating systems that are common to all the terminals at a particular port. They're all privately run, individually run, and they're different systems. So that must make it difficult, too, depending on where you want to line up and where the gates are. That's something that we work on a lot with our customers as well, too, is what ports are most beneficial for you to go in so that your drivers and the people that are actually moving your supply chain are happy to keep coming back there. And that's the one thing that we're seeing over and over from a lot of the ports right now is kind of selling their system, selling their structure, selling how their operation model can be better than the other port that they're looking at today. I think those are some of the things that we're trying to pass on to our customers to educate them on where it's the best for your supply chain to come in and out of these different ports. Any other solutions other than marine terminal technology, like check-in systems that are more efficient and the like and stuff like that, do you have any other ideas on how the life of a drayage trucker could be made better and thereby keeping more of them in the job? I think we talked about the buzzword a couple of years ago that I think has died a little bit that needs to come back is, is that shipper of choice. And when you think about it, it's really that port of choice, whether it be bathrooms, whether it be food, whether it be able to, to, to get access to different things, whether it be Wi-Fi and things like that. Because if you are going to be able to have to sit at one of these terminals for a couple hours, what does that life look like, right? Are you able to get water? Are you able to go to the bathroom? These are important things to a driver that I think sometimes people outside the supply chain take for granted. Those are some of the most important things because if we don't have these drivers moving the supply chain, people like you and myself, we, we wonder why we don't have food or things at the grocery store. And this is some of the things and issues that are adding up right now today. But when you talk about shipper of choice at warehouses, that's one thing because there are a lot of warehouses around the country. But when you talk about the shipper of, of the port of choice, it's not like these drivers have a whole lot of choices between ports to uh, that they could serve, right? No, you're 100% correct there, right? It depends on the location that they're in. Obviously, drivers are able to to move across the country and, and things like that are more difficult than just being said than done. But to your point there, too, some of them are stuck, right? If you're stuck in that Long Beach and L.A. area, that's tough for you to be able to handle, right? And some of these drivers weren't able to make the revenue that they were. Now, at the same time, on the flip side, there's been different modes that they are able to go into, right? And so you think about some of the power-only capabilities that you can take on as a, dri a driver or being able to connect at 53 to, to your cab as well, too. And so I think some of those now, they, they've had to look outside of just only doing drayage work and supplement some of this other work as well, too. wonder if environmental technologies as electric power might also help them to avoid the high cost of, of gasoline and oil. Is that something that we might see in the near future or is that a longer term play? I think it's one of those things where over the, probably the last six months, the conversation is, is sped up a ton. I think across a, a lot of different movements, you're seeing a lot of the environmental conscious decisions being made. At the same time, though, too, the cost comparison, the cost difference right now between your regular gas truck and your electric fuel truck is a little bit different, right? And, and so those high costs 
now I think they're starting to have those conversations of saying, well, listen, if I'm going to be paying five, six dollars a gallon, now I might look to pay that most more cost because of how much gas is going up, where in previous years mm-hmm. that really hasn't been the conversation. So just sum up for me, Drew, how you see the near future, the rest of this year and into 2023. I think you indicated earlier on in this conversation there was some optimism in what you were saying about the possibility of some of this, some relief in sight for the drayage trucker and for the drayage trucking industry. How do you see the near future? I think right now we're in that relief, if that makes sense, Bob. I think we've kind of caught up a little bit. The next wave coming over, though, is going to be interesting, right? And so obviously Mm -hmm. uh, Shanghai and the ports over there opened back up June 1st. I don't think we've seen that outcome quite yet, right? Obviously, it's taken these trucks a good 30 days to get across the sea into the ports and everything like that. So what I think you'll see on the back end of um, probably mid-July to end of July going into that kind of that back-to-school and retail season is another flux here of a lot of shipments coming through. And so the question will be, from the catch-up period, did these ports learn differently of how they should stack containers, how they should move their yards, how they should move the different things going on? And that's a question that I don't think we had enough time to catch up. And so I think we're going to go back into a little bit of a period of delays again here as all these shipments from China come back over here. Well, we really need our drayage truckers, so I hope you're right about that, and I hope some of the solutions we talked about today might ease their pain a little bit and things might get better. But in the meantime, Drew Herpick, I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of lay out the challenges that drayage faces today and maybe what some of the solutions might be going forward. Thank you for your time. No, appreciate you having me on today, Bob. And and like you said, our our drayage drivers are the ones that are really moving the supply chain today, so really appreciate all the help that they're doing for us. That was my conversation with Drew Herpick of Transportation Insight and Nolan Transportation Group talking about the plight of drayage drivers. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. Also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.